0: Welcome to the Broken to Unbroken podcast with Dr. Nick Askey, where we dive deep into how to eliminate pain
1: and continue to train.
0: All right, welcome to episode 23 of the Broken to Unbroken podcast. We get to celebrate Michael Jordan's number. Uh, with our guest, Dr. Ben Benulis, he is, uh, this is kind of a special podcast because uh, I kind of have like my proud papa moment to where I've seen Ben on uh, just kind of grow, change careers and and really uh, kind of navigate his way through the, the school of, of chiropractic and through uh, his journey in nutrition and kind of moving around the country. And so I'm, I'm very happy that Ben, you were able to make some time on the podcast and discuss some things with us this afternoon. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time, Ben.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited to be on uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a really, really fun discussion. I think a lot of people are going to, you know, enjoy it. So I'm, I'm ready to get going here. Yeah.
0: So can you kind of start from the beginning on uh, just kind of where you grew up, uh, what you did for your your first round of school, what you did for a career, and then kind of how your journey into
1: healthcare started? Sure. So I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, outside the Boston area, and uh, was in a family where like there was pretty much the medical model and like my grandfather was an MD and uh I had people on my mom's side of my family that were and um but I was always very interested in math and science and stuff like that and so I um I I actually started out there was like a regional vocational technical high school in the next town over and I started out in a biotech program there and it was this was like the late 90s And we were learning about, you know, like polymerase chain reactions and the human genome project. And like, there was a girl in my class whose dad invented the statin drug. And we were like, um, very indoctrinated with that model. They were all going to become biochemists and go work for, you know, at the time they called them biotech companies, but they're really just pharmaceutical companies. And um, I went to college started out a biomedical engineering major. And that was right around the time that uh, pharmaceutical companies started advertising on television. And it was very bizarre to see that for the first time, like these drugs and they would give this vague description about what, you know, you feel better, blah, blah, blah. But then side effects may include, you know, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, death, dismemberment, you know, all this stuff. And so I saw that and I was just like, man, I'm, this is not, what I want to be doing with my life. And kind of, I was doing really well in math and physics. And so I uh, switched over to mechanical engineering, thought like, okay, I can make a career out of this. And just kind of bounced around, was doing some consulting, moved to Austin, got a job working for a microchip company and um, was just doing like technical stuff jockeying a lot of spreadsheets, uh, got a job at Silicon Labs, which is where you and I met. Um, I had, I had, as a hobby, I had always been into footbag, hacky sack. And when I moved to Texas, I started getting into it at a competitive level and like really playing a lot. And I injured my knee really bad and to the point where I couldn't play anymore. And I had trouble walking and like it was, and I was just sort of, you know, I was like 26, 27 years old and I was just kind of putting off doing anything about it and um I went and saw like a GP and he referred me to an ortho who wanted to do a surgical consult and I was just like man I'm way too young to get you know surgery on this knee and so my company put out this thing like oh there's this there's this group they're coming they're doing free consults on sports injuries so if you want and I was just like okay I mean I don't know what this is but I got this knee problem I'm going to you know, I'm going to go get this checked out. It's free. Like, you know, nothing to lose. Like, I don't even have to, like, drive somewhere. Like, they're at our office. And, um, you know, so I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, like, in the waiting room to see, you know, the, the guy who's going to do the consult. And in walks this, like, baby-faced dude who's probably, like, 25 years old, like, younger than me. And he's like, hi, I'm Dr. Nick. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know about this guy. Like, I don't know what he's going to do for me. Um, And so, uh, you know, I was very, very, extremely highly skeptical. And, uh, you know, you looked at my knee and you're like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. It's not really your knee. It's, you know, it's your quad. And I was like, oh, really? That's funny because it's definitely my knee that hurts. And that's what I'm, you know, supposed to be scheduled for surgery on. But okay. And um you know, you kind of explained what you were going to do. And, um, you know, I'm thinking this is free. You can't hurt. Like what, you know, I don't have anything to lose. Like don't have any other options. Like let's give this a shot, you know, very reluctantly. And, uh, you know, it was that myofascial stuff is painful, but got a heck of a lot of relief out of it. And, uh, and then you're like, okay, do these exercises, you know, and come see me in a week. And I'm thinking, okay, like, I'm going to give this a shot. And, uh, I did what, you know most people don't do which is the exercises and I uh, showed up at your office a week later and you were pretty amazed that I had like stuck with the program and uh suddenly you know within a course of like three visits this knee that supposedly needed surgery was 100% better and uh so I became very evangelical about irosty and all the stuff that you guys do and uh so I sort of stuck around in the corporate world for a while and, um, and it was like, maybe like late 2010, I started to really have like bad health problems where I was having like terrible digestive issues, chronic fatigue, brain fog. I was getting these rashes all over my hands. I was getting this unexplained muscle pain. Um, and, uh, you know, I had been healthy my whole life. And so it was just kind of weird. Didn't really know what to do. Um, didn't really like. Didn't even know that this was normal or not. And um, and so I just dealt with it for a long time. And, and it started interfering more and more with my life. Um, like my performance in my job started to tank. And um, like I was just – had so much fatigue that I was just like sleeping most of the weekend. And I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to do anything. I just thought that like I, my work was stressing me out too much or I didn't know. And my health just sort of declined. I don't know. It was like at a modest enough pace that I didn't realize how bad it was till it had gotten really bad. And um so it went through the whole medical route of like getting shuffled around from this specialist to that specialist and um and it was really just like getting nowhere and just getting worse and fast. And uh Someone said to me, like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you go get tested for food allergies? Because I was having digestive problems. Like, maybe it's something to do with what you're eating. I'm thinking, nah, there's no way. Like, if I had food allergies, like, I would have known. You can't just develop them later in life, right? Which, <laughs> find out later, yeah, absolutely, you can. So, I'll go get tested. And the test comes back, like, positive for, like, everything under the sun. Like, soy, gluten, wheat, dairy uh, yeast, eggs, um, like, uh, I can't even remember. Yeah. all the Yeah. And I was like, what, I'm allergic to all these things. Like I didn't have that happen, you know? So I asked the guy, you know, I'm like, what medication do you give me? You know? Cause that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, that he's a doctor. He did a test on me. I have a problem. He gives me some sort of medicine for it. Like, that's just like the paradigm that I was at at the time. And he's like, oh, there's, there's no medication, you know, for this stuff. You just got to take these foods out of your diet. And I'm like, are you, like, you kidding me, man? Like, what am I going to eat? You know, like gluten-free air sandwiches? And, uh, and uh, so that began a journey of, like, trying to find food I could eat, you know. And I was very, like, reticent to make any – serious dietary changes or like actually cook my, prepare my own food. Like I was just pretty much microwave stuff and ate a window diet and I'd been thin my whole life. So I thought like, it didn't really matter. And, um, so bought a bunch of like packaged, like gluten-free, dairy-free macaroni and cheese and whatever. And, um, it was like, you know, I was driving like central market on the other side of Austin to get it. And, um, like you know it was cost a lot of money was tasting like cardboard wasn't really feeling better so i thought like okay well i'll just make smoothies you know like i'll just that'll be it's like kind of like microwaving food like you just throw it in there and you close the lid and you press a button and then like 30 seconds later you got your food um so that kind of fit into my whole lazy mentality and i just started making smoothies some of them tasted good some of them didn't and uh and so eventually i got the idea of like well Maybe if I like look up recipes on the internet, like maybe they would taste better. Because I was just throwing whatever produce I had in the in the fridge in the smoothie.
0: Yeah, it's like a suicide cocktail, like the kids mixing all the soda together at the the soda fountain.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Like it's they're all health foods, right? Like just throw, just do it. Um, So I started looking up videos, and then that like smoothie recipe videos, and that just took me down this rabbit hole with YouTube that was just like insane. And I found this guy, his name was Dan McDonald. And at the time, this was like, you know, almost 10 years ago, he was making videos. He was living in an RV in the woods in Washington state. And he was like a hippie. And uh, he would talk about all the health benefits of like raw foods, fruits and vegetables, how they can heal you. And I'm just thinking this guy's nuts, but the recipes are pretty cool. And I don't know, he's kind of goofy. So I like him. And it's like the more I listen to him, the more like what he had to say really resonated with me about health and how the body can heal itself and, and uh, fruits and vegetables, the optimal food for human beings. And I, and the more I was following the recipes and, you know, doing what he was saying, he was doing uh, juicing too, like green ju- juicing vegetables, green juices. I just felt better. And like my symptoms started to go away and I just like, it just set me on this path of like, okay, this is working for me. I'm going to do this. I feel really good. In fact, I feel better than I felt when I thought I was feeling good. Um, again, became obnoxiously evangelical about it. Cause it was like, everybody needs to know like how I had, you know, was feeling like, you know, just terrible for all this time. And was now feeling better than ever. No one wanted to listen, of course. Um, and so that was sort of my whole transformation. And, and, uh, you know, symptoms went away within a few months. Like my workouts were better than they'd ever been. Rash went away. Pain went away. Brain fog lifted, had more energy than I knew what to do with. Started running tough mutters and marathon, half marathons, just cause I could. I remember like emailing you about like, Hey, I'm going to train for this or that. Or like, what do you think I should do? And, you know, you and I kind of kept in touch and, um, and then, you know, I hit about 30. And just sort of, like, realize, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, working in the tech space. Like, this is just not me. And um, when I got really clear about my health and, like, what I, what I wasn't willing to tolerate anymore, like, the next thing was, like, career-wise. Like, am I willing to tolerate, that? you know, I wasn't willing to tolerate being sick anymore. Am I willing to tolerate a job that just stresses me out and was like, not really that engaging, even though it's good pay? Um, and so, like... So I thought about doing naturopathy, but it's not licensed in Texas. And um, so I thought, okay, well, you know, I want to help people, but I don't want to do drugs and surgery. Chiropractic was the other option. It was sort of like, well, it's based on a similar principle, like the body heals itself given, the, you know, the, the correct boundary conditions. And so I called you up and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing it. And, um, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. Like I knew, you know, you'd been there for support for me. Um, but not only were you like, you know, giving me information, you were like encouraging me like, yo, yo, you should, you have definitely should do this. You'd be awesome at it. I was like, okay, like, I guess I'm doing it. Um, so yeah, it was then that was about, uh, 2012 by 2000, you know, went around, visited schools. Um, and you know, like with an engineering degree, wasn't exactly like a lot of places were going to require me to take a lot more classes. For just to get the prereqs, which I didn't want to do, LACC was like, just take one more, like bioscience class, and you're good. Blitche we'll you in. So I was like, okay, I'm doing that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my journey to school. I feel like I kind of commandeered the mic here, just jabbing, jabbering away. So if you want to add any commentary or ask me anything about any of that, go ahead.
0: No, man. I mean, that's what these are for. I I like people to commandeer the mic because uh I just like to to hear, because I was kind of a a small part of this, but I like to hear you kind of fill in the holes of uh, what was going through your head between our conversations. And I I think it takes a lot of guts to leave a uh, a secure kind of pseudo comfort zone or comfort zone, so to speak, where you have a stable income in a cool city to live, you're you're intelligent to where you like, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is where I'm going to stay and not just taking this new discovery as like, okay, this is going to improve my quality of life on the weekends. And I'm going to kind of be half-ass liking what I do Monday through Friday to just go, no, nah, I'm going to take my life by the horns and I'm just going to live my life to the fullest and go do what i'm passionate about and help others kind of discover what has improved my quality of life that's that that takes some courage and there there's some truth to the statement that greatness isn't achieved inside your comfort zone you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and you're kind of the living walking breathing uh footbagging version of that
1: yeah that's true and you know like at the time people were saying it takes guts, it takes guts. And like I I was at a – now like looking back and I'm like, wow, that was incredibly brave to do. But at the time like I was so fed up with my life the way it was, I was so hungry to make a change that like I didn't see it. That I saw it as like a necessity. Like um, Tony Robbins says there's this thing, this thing called emotional leverage. Like when the pain of changing becomes – um, less than the pain of staying the same, or the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of actually changing. That's when people change, and I was like, in so much pain staying the same that like I had to change. And um, so now I'm looking back and like, wow, that was not that that was stupid, but it was definitely like daring, you know. Um, so went to chiropractic school, and you know I had gotten the tip off that uh, LACC was definitely more medically based. Um, but, uh, you know, it was like, they, it was the easiest one for me to get started at. Um, I knew that like in LA with like the plant-based thing and the raw foods and, um, like I knew it would be much easier to do there. Like I would shop at the LA wholesale market and buy like cases of mangoes at a time when mangoes were in season, we'd get all this like exotic fruit because it was a port city and it would all come from South America and Mexico and could, like get it really cheap. Um, but there was definitely like a lot of like um, you know, butting of the heads with um, you know the faculty and the um, and the administration to the point where I was just okay. Like I'm gonna keep my head down and just do this and you know pass my boards and get out of here and do what I want.
0: Yeah, and there's sometimes that it's like okay, it, you're not gonna revolutionize uh, a a system that's in place at a very bureaucratic, large institution. And there's some times to where it's like, okay, the stuff that I have to study for boards, I will never see in the United States of America. <laughs> I'll only see it on a Doctor House episode or in a third world country, but you still have to memorize it. You still have to pass it. It's just kind of part of the the kind of price of entry, so to speak, in it kind of happens at every school and you kind of have to bite your tongue sometimes. And there are some people and most chiropractic students are terrible at biting their tongue uh, because we're very independent people. We like a lot of people go to chiro school because they want to be their own boss because they don't have the best history with uh, authority figures. And they're usually pretty creative people that like to march to their own drumbeat. So a lot of times, the chiropractic schools overcompensate to shackle the very eclectic personalities because if you let it go off the rails, it gets really rowdy really quick. Totally. And I, I thought it was cool because I would kind of follow you on Facebook when you're out in school, and I'm like, "Oh, Ben's up in a tree in somebody's yard or in a median, like foraging for food. That's pretty cool."
1: Yeah, man. L.A. Like, was great for the foraging. Um, and there's so many like micro seasons of fruit that like the mulberries is like mid May to or mid April to mid May. It's like four weeks of this stuff. And they're just like, you get them fresh off the tree. This is unparalleled. Uh, Um, and so like I had a girlfriend for a while who liked to, uh, you know, forage with me. And funny enough, she, before I met her, she had been in Thailand and she got, um, Man, I can't remember the name of it, but she got bit by a mosquito and got one of those rare diseases that was on boards, and the only reason I remembered it on boards was cuz she had gotten it. but like it was dengue like dengue fever a, or something. Dengue fever, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, nailed it. Never walking in my office, but you know, if someone tells you they went to Thailand and got it, that's that's plausible.
0: Yeah. And I actually had a, a friend, uh, actually, one of my best friends, he was the best man in my wedding. Uh, he's currently like my roommate upstairs living in my house until he gets settled back. He lived in Bali for like, two years or a year and a half. And his wife got that on their travels either in Vietnam or Thailand. And so that kind of was fresh in my mind. I don't go over my boards notes every week.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and here we go. Like it happened to someone I knew who was close to me and, you know, you know, three, four years later, I've forgotten about it. Cause you know, it's never going to happen again. And but it's, yeah, go ahead. But I mean, there's, there's value to some of the stuff I learned, you know, and it's, uh, it's funny sometimes like you meet a medical doctor and they're surprised that you know about some obscure condition, you know, it's like, oh, I, you know, I had to learn that one too.
0: Yeah. And I think, some of the stuff that we learn that's kind of on the fringes of what we manage can kind of give us some of that RD slash real doctor credibility. It's like, yeah, like we, we aren't just like these paleolithic bone setters that just go bone out of place. Boom. Now you can hear it's like, okay, we're managing some complex patients that are kind of in that gray area that get kind of shoved off to the side, kind of in that spot you were at with your, just your, like your body being in an inflamed state and you not knowing what you're doing to stoke that fire, the, the Western system is not set up to do that. And that's where a lot of these functional medicine providers are coming in and kind of swooping in. And a lot of chiropractors are kind of blending into that realm. But again, with any desperate patient that falls through the cracks with the black and white medical field, Uh, And with desperation, there's always vultures and there's a lot of uh, functional medicine practices that I don't agree with because they take advantage of very desperate, ill-informed patients and they run up the bill. And it's just, it's pretty, pretty gnarly stuff. And I, I interviewed Dr. Angela Luchterhand, who's, who was in my chiropractic class and went into the kind of the functional medicine realm. And she's like, okay, like we're not going to run a ton of labs. We're not going to do a bunch of tests. We're not going to give you any supplements. We're just going to start with food. And if there's anything that food cannot help you fix, then we can refine and fine tune with testing or supplementation after that. But we need to start with food.
1: Yeah. And I think, and I agree with you that, that, that um, just as someone who's, who's been through that, like I, like my disease condition didn't have a name you know it was just sort of like we don't even know what's wrong and they don't even have a diagnosis don't even acknowledge that something's wrong funny enough i didn't even know what it was called till about a year ago i had you know started the social media presence with my youtube and instagram and I was making videos and i had this email list and i was talking about autoimmune disease and i get this email from this person i don't even remember their name or anything and but they're like okay like this program all sounds good and whatever but like I have some a rare disease called chronic myalgic encephalopathy. Will it work for me? And that's when I go, huh, never heard of that one. I'm going to have to, you know, look it up. And uh, it's like the exact symptoms I had, you know, that um, it's like, oh, my condition has a name. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, it's just a name, right? Like, it's kind of, it's not that important. And for some personality types, it is. Like some people
0: want closure and that's why I think the fibromyalgia diagnosis is so thrown around and the SIBO diagnosis is the new fibromyalgia because people want a name. And s- some people, they don't really care as much about like the solution as much as like what it's called so they can go Google it at home.
1: Yeah, totally. Like they, they, you get a diagnosis, you you get a name for your disease and then you have something you can identify with and latch on to and have it become a part of you. And then your chances of actually getting well just dwindle dramatically.
0: When you decided to totally kind of, kind of pull the rug out of your, your Austin roots and just go, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. We're heading West like five. And, uh, what was like the biggest obstacle, biggest fear in your mind? What would you change about it? Like what kind of, was, was it some things that we already discussed with the security and the established job and maybe friends that you made in Austin that were the biggest obstacle or was it something else?
1: That's a good question. Um, You know, there's a lot of like what you perceive the obstacles to be. And then when they actually end up being, and you know, usually it's, it's, you know not nearly as bad as you think um I think for me, one of the things was that like I owned a house which I had bought like right before the market crashed in uh two thousand seven, so you know not you know the 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 height of the bubble um and you know I didn't get like a one of those crazy mortgages like I' paid my bills and i you know stayed in my house and whatever um and you know I was fortunate to some degree that I you know was employed the whole time gainfully, and things worked out for me but um yeah I had to sell that house and um you know it was looking like I was gonna be underwater ended up selling it for uh only a hundred dollars less than I bought it for, but you know you take out like you know like uh the broker fees and you know you lost lost a good chunk of change on it, but like could have been a lot worse so selling a house was definitely a tricky one i I had two dogs at the time I had to move them um With friends, you know, I did have friends, a great network of people, but also I felt like Austin is one of those cities where it's very easy to just be comfortable, hang out with the same people, do the same stuff, you're safe, you don't have to grow. And so I kind of knew that as cool as most of those friends were, that um, like a lot of times it was sort of holding me back to be in this social circle and get this confirmation bias of people who all think the same as you and don't really want to grow. And so, you know, but there were a few friends who were like, you know, dude, you need to do this. Like, this is, you know, this is inspiring to me that you're going to do this. And those are the people that I really kept in touch with, faded away from a lot of the other friends. Um, And so that's the other thing. Like, if you're really on your path, if you're like really doing what you're passionate about, like, you're going to meet the people that are like your tribe anyway. And the other people are going to kind of fall away. So, um, I like the social aspect was, you know, a bit tough, but at the same time, like I kind of knew, like I'm going on this whole journey, I'm going to make new friends, like new stuff's going to happen. Like, you know, you got to sort of make way for that new stuff by casting out some of the old stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, leaving the job was definitely scary. Like, okay, wait, don't have health insurance anymore. Like, you know, go to the exit interview and they're like, you know, can't believe you're doing this. Like, and people are telling me like, you know, I thought about doing that but i have kids or whatever like i'm fortunate that in you know other than a couple of dogs and a house that i own i didn't have a whole lot rooting me there it was still some uprooting um and it was scary to leave a job but i i had been diligent with my finances i'd saved a nest egg i'd been responsible you know it was funny it was like i just always had this sense in my mind like i'm saving less money i'm gonna need it day. i don't know what i'm gonna need it for but um there it was so that was good to have, if anything, for more than just, you know, a sense of security. Um, so that, that was that. And I think, um, you know, just like having people, you know, when you say you're doing this, there are people who are going to question you. And like my family was very like, you know, like that was red flags for them that I was doing this. Like, why are you leaving this secure job or, you know, this crazy like chiropractor thing? Like, you know, my mom was like sending me all these articles about, you know, you know stories of chiropractors who you know, went to jail or like lost a bunch of money or like what whatever you know just these horror stories. You know, but it's one of those things like you look for what your bias is and there's you know plenty of great success stories. So it's like what you know you want to believe, what you want to believe. Um, so I think I think that answers that question. Yeah,
0: yeah. And one thing that kind of is just kind of formulating in my head, and I think it's really cool is. The medical doctor that I practiced with in Buda, she is a very fervent plant-based practitioner, uh, very well known in the the Austin area. Dr. Linda Carney, yeah, uh, and she's like a speaking ambassador for the Engine Two Diet, and like, and then I was in her office, so it's kind of like blending the the two people that were in that office in kind of formulating kind of a, a combo philosophy to clinical practice. That's kind of an interesting uh, correlation, whether it was uh, super influential at that time or not, uh, that that was just kind of there in the same place and it kind of had an influence on how you practice today
1: that was so bizarre because i was in your office you know that was maybe like 2010 and um you know i think i met sean at the time but like very briefly but i like that was before i had any consciousness around diet or plant-based or anything like i was just seeing you from my knee and um it was like yeah 2012 like two years later i wound up there because someone you know, I wanted a plant-based doctor to go over my blood work with me. And they're like, oh, you got to go see Dr. Carney in in Buda. And I walk, I'm like, I've been here before. Like, (laughs) I think by then you had probably left, you had moved to San Antonio, but I was like, wow, bizarre. Like I've been here. This is so weird. Um, so yeah. So just for people listening, like you practiced in her, your, your eros, like eros, had an office that was based out of her office. And I came to see you in 2010. And then like, couple of years later, came to see her like completely unrelated. And, uh, you know, th- I think there was another Rossi doc in there at the time. Uh, but yeah, I ended up with her and she was super encouraging to me. Um, you know, she, she works so hard and she's like, you know, yeah, such a, um, you know, does so much to help people. And, um, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about her. I mean, she's just like, bend over backwards to to help. She wrote me one of my recommendation letters for chiropractic school. I mean, she just, um, you know, she pours her heart into things big time. Yeah.
0: Her, her and her husband are like salt of the earth, like nicest human beings alive. Like my mom moved and they like drove to San Antonio to like help her move and they didn't really know her. And it was like, what? (laughs) And it was, it's crazy. And they're, they're just really good people and i was glad to to kind of start my clinical career next to her because she she hustles she works really hard and it, it it's tough to practice outside the kind of the the realm of like all right you have condition a here's pill a condition b here's pill b And it does get very frustrating and stressful when you tell people that they actually have to change their lifestyle to conform to kind of, okay, this is my philosophy, this is how we practice, this is what I believe is good for you. And a lot of people are a tough sell to where they look at you like you got no pants on at the playground, and they're like, you're freaking crazy, I'm going to go find somebody who's just gonna give me my statin and my blood pressure medication and leave me alone.
1: Yeah. And, um, and my insurance covers it. Whereas, you know, what you're doing, I'd have to pay money, you know, it's like, yeah. So yeah, they, they, um, yeah, they definitely put themselves out there and, uh, yeah, it's definitely not easy what they do. So
0: with your current practice and you can start like how you started practicing from graduation and then how it kind of melded and migrated from there. But I just want you to go through like, How you started out, how your practice has kind of uh, developed, if you've had any philosophical or or kind of clinical developments since you started uh, practicing, and then just kind of who you like to work with, who your demographic is. Just kind of give us like a 30,000 foot view of from graduation to now.
1: Sure. Actually, kind of want to start like a little bit before then. Um, so I mean, I had gone to school expecting that I would, you know, learn full spine diversified and like the ART, MRT, like soft tissue techniques, you know, and that's what I was going to do. And, um, so that's kind of what I went to school thinking I was, you know, going to come out doing and, uh, you know, had no, like I had some intellectual curiosity about some of these other techniques, but a lot of it, it just seems they, people seem like such, you know, Zealots about it like that was the immediate turnoff when they're like the Gonstead guy is telling me PDA is the only way I'm like, okay, like I don't even want to hear what you have to say if you're like that dogmatic um, But uh, a guy came to my speak at my school who um, his name is dr. Chris George and um, He just talked about his philosophy and how he deals with patients. He's like very patient-centered like very big picture um, like one of the nicest guy, like such a such a, like like takes great care of his people. Like seriously takes great care of his people. And his patients love him. And uh, but I just got a good vibe from him when I met him. I was like, this guy's on point, like I wanna, you know, observe at his office and like kinda see what's going on. And uh, I had no idea that he was a network doc. And but I did know that his office was in West Hollywood, which is like you know this is like hollywood essentially like seeing hollywood type patients like i was used to lacc clinic where we were seeing like medicare patients you do flexion distraction you know hot packs e-stem you know all that stuff this is like pro skateboarders uh models uh, actresses paparazzi photographers like just hollywood people he's working on and he's doing this network thing and for those of you guys who listen to podcasts haven't heard of network it's a low force light touch uh chiropractic technique um and and some people uh as a result of getting these like low force adjustments experience these waves where their body actually moves like they they move on the table they shuffle around they wiggle like a worm different things like that happen so i'm seeing this on top like the hollywood people and i'm just like man I just, like, took a trip to Bizarro World. Like, what, what is going on? You know, but it's like I drove, like, you know, an hour and 15 minutes out to sea and wasn't like I could just bail for the day. Like, I'd kind of committed to being there. So I'm like, I'm going to stick this out and, uh, you know, just kind of watch and just, you know, somewhere between being, like, amused and appalled and just, like, try to remain intellectually curious and not too judgmental. But this is really weird. And, um So at the end of the day, rolls around and he's like, okay, um, you know, like I'll work on you now. You want to get on the table? And I'm thinking to myself like, oh, hell no, no way you're doing that to me. And uh, he's like, Ben, look, I know, he's like, let's, let's be honest here. Uh, I know you think this is bullshit. So why don't you get on the table and try it? And then, you know, if nothing happens, then you, you know that it's, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus and. You can go home, but, like, if you don't and you just walk away, like, you might just, you know, have some regret of, like, never really knowing for sure. And I'm like, all right, okay, fine. Like, you sold me. Get on the table. And uh, he does a contact on me. And it's, like, immediately my one of my dogs had died four months prior. And since it was, like, beginning, a, like, in between semesters at chiropractic school, I just kind of put my game face on and it was just, like, never really processed the death of the pet. And I uh, never really cried too much. It all came flying back on the table. Like I was having like memories in my mind's eye and my dog like flooding back and I'm just bawling my eyes out and um, like uncontrollably. Like it's just a flood of emotion, just like super strong. Like not like even if I wanted to hold back crying, like I couldn't. It was that strong. And uh it's pretty powerful. And I get up off the table and, and um, you know, he just has this look on his face, not smug, but like, you know, he's seen this kind of thing before, like it's not, not uncommon. So I tell him about, you know, the whole thing with my dog. And he's like, yeah, that happens. You know, emotions get trapped in the body and, and, uh, you know, if they're not processed properly and I'm like, okay, okay. guess so. And, uh, what was also weird was that I had been having the shoulder pain that had been, when I put the pieces together, it had started about the time that, that the dog had passed away. And I had been going to the school clinic and they'd been zapping it with the laser and they'd been like, you know, just every soft tissue modality under the sun. I'd gotten like an upper cervical adjustment, like all this stuff to try like something for the shoulder pain that like prevented me from doing pull ups. It would only really hurt when I did pull ups or tried to do muscle ups. Next day, I got on the bar, hung from the bar, no pain, did a pull up, no pain for the first time in like four months. And I was like, man. It was sort of one of those things like, oh, I guess I got to go learn this stuff now. I can't just have an experience from like that and walk away. So um, I knew I was going to incorporate network in my practice, but it was still one of those things. It was like, I was already, you know, a raw vegan, and now I'm doing the crazy, like, energy work tech. Like, I just can't get much weirder at school, you know? And uh, so no one was surprised. Like, you know, I never signed up to be like either of those things, right? Like life just kind of dealt me those cards and it was like that was what worked and that's kind of what I got to do. Um, So, uh, but I had I had wanted to enter, there's this guy, Dr. Goldhammer, who ran, ran a fasting clinic up in Santa Rosa. And so um, I was like, he said I could preceptor with him, which basically means that like you just like go an entire semester of school is working at his clinic. And, um, so I got all my like clinic requirements out of the way so I could go up there. And, um, yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, they basically did water fasts and refed people on a plant-based diet. Um, the movie, what the health, which I'm sure you're familiar with highly controversial, you know, um, all the transformation stories, um, happen or patients that had stayed there. And two of them were patients while I was an intern. So I knew them and it was a, pretty wild shock to see them on the movie uh one of them fasted for 40 days um, and then refed slowly over the course of about three weeks and that was when you saw like crazy miracles with the fasting like people like this one lady came in you know she was on a walker she had just had a stroke in sacramento like earlier that day and her friend drove her there and she was like slurred speech half her face was all Jacked up and she was walking funny and um she was like she was like since she just had a stroke they couldn't take her off all the medications to fast her because they wouldn't want to fast anybody on medications. They have medical doctors that essentially like wean people off the medications so they could fast them. She just ate the food and within seven days she was talking again normal, walking again normal, face was back to normal, like she had just recovered from the stroke. And, um, you know, so I, we took people's vitals every day, so, you know, would see high blood pressure drop, would see autoimmune diseases go into remission sometimes with like very significant detox events where people are like detoxing it out their mouth, out their ears, out their nose, out their skin. Uh, so saw a lot, a lot of wild stuff. Um, and, uh, was like hoping to get a job there to work there, but it didn't work out. So I kind of, bootstrapped my own practice in Northern California. I was in Berkeley and it was just, um, it was rough out there and it was just, it was just, it's so expensive trying to practice and pay back student loans and like live is just ridiculous. So um, I was looking to bail. Obviously you remember I came back, interviewed at a Rosti. I just wasn't a fit for that. Like I was just way too out in left field uh, by that point. And so um, had some friends that had moved to Phoenix the past few years from Austin and LA said good things about it. I was like, let's give it a shot and um, set up my own practice here. And it's things have just been coming together. Like for a while I was still doing like a lot of manual adjustments still. And it's just now it's like network is just like, it's just kind of what's most congruent with me. I get great results. It's still bizarre to see like you do, you know, these people come in, they can barely walk and you, do a few contacts on them, they get up off the table and they're standing two inches taller and their gate's back to normal. I'm like, I don't know what I just did, but that worked. I guess this works. I keep getting results. I guess I got to keep doing it. Um, And uh, yeah, it's been been fun.
0: And I think that that is something that could limit a lot of the circle the wagons and shoot in in the chiropractic profession because I don't think that any of these – techniques are right or wrong. I think we all get to the same endpoint by just more like circuitous routes in like, just like you're not going to take a Ferrari off road. Uh, and you're probably not going to buy a Hummer if you never have to leave the road there, I mean, for different personalities and different body styles and different, um, just different people, there are different techniques that are better suited to them, uh, whether someone's naturally skeptical or they kind of buy into things and they they kind of jump on board and they're good at kind of educating people on what makes these things work. I think that's what kind of just like hypermobile people will self-select into swimming and dancing and you're not going to get many stiff professional yoga instructors. And it's not necessarily that those things give you mobility. Those people are just naturally gifted at those things. I think that like you have the touch and the intuition that makes you good at your technique where I would probably suck at it. And even if I did study at it, it, it may not be the right thing for me. So it's pretty cool that you kind of went out and you you didn't bail on that chance to learn from that experience and that you didn't just like slough it off because there's a lot of people that the the lower force techniques are the ones that take into account people's emotional experiences they just kind of foo-foo those like a medical doctor foo-fooing some of the stuff we do in chiropractic and i don't think that's necessarily right we got to keep an open mind that there's a bunch of different body types and personalities and ways of connecting with patients that all of us have. And it just, it, it helps to have a, almost 200 different ways for those people to
1: serve their patients. Totally. Totally. I agree. And, you know, it's like, never would have imagined that this is what I'd be doing now, but it's just sort of like, what's worked for me. And I'm um, like, yeah, I can only speak my own truth of like, what's worked for me and my patients. And I've, you know, seeing people get well with a lot of different stuff, and so um, you know, I'm I'm definitely a fan of what works, what gets results.
0: And I think that people can gather this just from the way that you've spoken on the podcast so far, that you're just kind of primarily and inherently and healthfully skeptical at first. So you're not one of those people that they're like, yeah, slap the water with horse hair and give it to me and it's going to get me better. Like, you're not like this, like faith healer. Like you're just like, you have an engineering background. You think critically about stuff and you mentally dissect it. So everything that you've kind of adopted has not been some willy nilly uh, just, where the winds going to blow me? That's what I'm going to tell people works. And that's what I'm going to do. You're a very analytical mind and you're very passionate about something. And I think it speaks volumes for, for the, the work that you're doing. And I think it should make some people that just go, ah, oh, those are, those are garbage. They it should make them kind of perk their ears up a little bit that someone who's, whose personality is to be very analytical engineer type, and skeptical at first that you're, you're doing this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, the people that you're talking about that are just sort of like, you know, don't have a lot of the ability to like make rational decisions and just kind of go with what sounds right or feels right. And like, they're doing the same things that I do. I, there's, I'm like, you're giving me a bad name. Like, don't you want to like back up what you do with some level of evidence and like, um, yeah, I, I like, uh, that stuff drives me nuts. And so I feel like I'm in this like very small minority of people that do this out there stuff, but like, you know, have their their reasoning and their logic behind doing it. Um, So it's, yeah, it's great to share the message and pass that along to people who might not have been receptive if they'd heard it from someone who was, you know, more in the woo-woo type of situation.
0: And I think early on I could be very opinionated in uh, I can kind of put down some stuff that may take a little bit of uh, mental gymnastics to make the connections because I've always, I mean, I was trained in clinic by a guy who has his master's in anatomy and if you can't make point A to point B with anatomy book and physiology book, I'm just going to kind of raise my eyebrow like the rock, but there is more to a lot of this stuff, especially if you're kind of casting that you're, you're, you're throwing the loop around, uh, emotional experiences. Cause those are so tied in with the biopsychosocial model of
1: pain. Totally, totally. And, um, you know, it's like, it's good to be skeptical. Like, I was probably one of the most skeptical people and I still am. Um, but I also really try to keep myself in check about any biases that I hold and like, you know, um, really try to see if I can learn something from everybody. And like, you know, specifically in regards to, um, you know, the whole like low carb versus the plant-based movement, like I've learned a heck of a lot. Um, you know, listening to people that are from the other camp and seeing like, okay, well, how did they arrive at this conclusion? And like, you know, they have a lot of points here at A, B, and C, but I don't agree with D and E, but like, you know, there's a lot of things people in my camp get wrong. And, and, you know, and it's like, uh, a lot of times people are so ingrained in their little camp. It's like, well, I know that, you know, like, um, you know, whatever guy said that you don't like says this, but like, don't you think he has a point about at least this? And people are, some people are so close-minded that they like, can't even wrap their heads around the fact that like Lauren Cordain could say something that would actually have validity, you know? Um, but I think, it, I think it's, uh, I think it's helped me a lot to always like have that open mind. And so what I say is like, I basically have three buckets in my head. There's the bucket one is like stuff that I know to be true. Uh, bucket two is stuff that I I know to be false. And then bucket three is stuff that like could be true, could not be true. I'm not sure. I maybe don't have enough evidence to make a decision or I haven't like like researched it enough to make a decision, but I'm willing to entertain the idea. Or maybe there's just there's no way to even be sure based on empirical data or available data, whether it's true or not. So I'm going to hold it in this third bucket where I'm going to entertain the idea and it could be true, it could be not, but I'm not going to make a rash decision on it. And that ends up being, unfortunately, the largest bucket. But humans like certainty. They like knowing things for sure. And um, we just don't know enough about uh, science, about the human body, about physiology, about nutrition to be certain about everything. We just don't. There's a lot, You know, that's just, it's way too complex.
0: Yeah. My third bucket needs a storage unit. And there's a lot of stuff that in my first two years in practice, if it was in bucket one, it's in bucket two or three now and vice versa. And I think the more I learn and the more I see these things cycle through like acid wash jeans, it's just, (laughs) there's, there's stuff that you see all these like high-powered, peer-reviewed, double-blinded, randomized control studies and meta-analyses that show us that A is true. And then six years later, you get higher-powered studies that say A is absolutely false. And it's just like the more you learn about the body, the more you realize that we're just scratching the surface and that you just have to build your anecdotal library of what you do that works practice and kind of use the evidence as the stake in the ground that you tie your leash to and you don't stray too far away from it, but you don't like hug the hug, the post that's in the ground and never like venture out a little bit because then you're going to be either way too far behind or clinging to something that is wrong eight years later. Totally, totally. So what are your goals like if you like as far as your practice, because I know you're starting to, you're, you're kind of getting your, your your footing there and you're getting more comfortable. Uh, what kind of patients could benefit from your care? Uh, who do you like to see? Who do you get the best results with? And kind of what are your, your future goals for your practice and your patients?
1: Sure. So um, I think Like the patients that I want to see are people with autoimmune conditions. Um, And and I feel like, you know, a lot of them have chronic pain too, which may or may not be associated with the autoimmune condition. I feel like those are the people I can serve the most. I feel like those are the people that, you know, often struggle to find someone who can really help them. And I feel like since I've been through it myself, um, you know, I'm a really good fit to provide care. I think, Touching on something you said earlier, you know, that there's a lot of people that like in functional medicine, they're taking advantage of these people in bad situations. It's like, for me, since it was what I went through, like, I know what works. I feel like there are people out there who just like, oh, this functional medicine thing's like kind of a good way to make a living. I could sell a bunch of supplements on top of adjusting people. And like, they never been through it. They don't know what these people are going through. They don't have firsthand experience of any concept of like, all the biopsychosocial side effects of of having an autoimmune condition, how it affects like every area of your life. And so they're just like, oh, this is like a good way to make, you know, make some extra money. For me, I'm coming at it from much more like service oriented, like, you know, I want to help you because I know what it's like. Um, And so I feel like I can provide better care and honest care. And that's what I like doing. Um, Do I do enjoy uh, people who have like Chronic pain often associated with some sort of emotional component, like a PTSD or something like that. I feel like I can help them work through a lot of that stuff. Um, uh, I'd say those are probably my two like fa- favorite clients to work with. Clients I'm you know trying to attract. But I mean, e- e- the other on the other end of the spectrum, like you never know what walks through your door. Like I had um, I had some guy try to refer his cousin to me who had MRSA. I was like, dude, that's not what I do. <laughs> like yeah. keep that guy away from me. Um, so, you know, treat a variety of things. I think long-term, uh, goal for the practice, like I have a buddy who, um, is a naturopathic doctor. We met actually at True North. He grew up in Scottsdale practices out here. So when I moved out here, uh, met up back with him again and we're like, dude, we got to start our own fasting center. So like long-term goal is to like open up a fasting center where we're doing, a lot like what happens at true north. Uh, I'd still want to be like, you know, doing chiropractic care for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, um, like the, the fasting and the lifestyle and having a place where people can come do that inpatient is really powerful. Um, it's not easy to make money doing it. It's a costly endeavor, but hopefully one day we can get that ramped up and going.
0: Awesome, man. And I want to kind of bridge into, uh, nutrition politics and religion never make anybody any friends and when you're talking about nutrition it is rife with all these pseudo experts and all of these people that want to take things out of context and spread like myths about the the opposing camp like and i i just want you to take because I'm sure you have a big three or a big five myths that you're just like, oh, I'm so sick of rolling my eyes and explaining this to people uh, on uh, just myths about plant-based diets. And I'm I'm really curious to hear because I, I can kind of figure out and, and predict what a couple of them are going to be. One of them is probably going to be about B12 and, and and protein and all this other stuff. But I just want you to kind of go over the the big three to five uh, myths of like patients will ask you like, Oh, isn't this bad? Or I've heard this, or my, my buddy told me this, yeah. or I heard this on Dr. Oz. Uh, kind of go through those because I, I
1: think that's going to provide a lot of value and clarity. Sure. Um, and you know, some of these things, it's like, I've heard them so much that I just almost just tune them out. And I'm like, I've been doing this so long that I'm kind of in this, probably this space I shouldn't be in where I'm just like, like, come on, like, like, really, you're asking me that? Like, don't, haven't we dispelled this myth by now? So, um, so I, it keeps me in check to be asked this kind of stuff. So I appreciate it. Um, probably number one question is, um, protein. Um, there's a few points I have to make on this one. First of all, uh, pro, uh, Protein deficiency is, you know, not the cause of any known Western disease uh, other than, like, starvation. Um, And uh, so, like, plants have protein usually around 10%. Um, The body can only assimilate a limited amount. The body recycles most of its own protein, doesn't need constant new building blocks. We're not growing Um, babies who are probably the ones that put on the most mass are supposed to drink breast milk. If you're feeding them something else, you're probably doing them a disservice. Breast milk is 6% protein by calories. Um, you know, the human breast milk, like cow's milk and giraffe milk and some of these other camel milk that people are doing now blows my mind. Um, you know, uh, these are more protein than than human milk, but it's like the human milk is like what we evolved with. If you want to use the argument, we're designed to drink it, you know, or we evolved drinking it evolutionarily that's what's optimum for human babies that is six percent protein and babies are the biggest you know bodybuilders mass gainers that we have um and so it's in plant foods and um i think just in general with with protein carbs fat like we we try so hard to like compartmentalize these food is is it a protein is it a fat is it a carb well all foods are combinations of all three, or sometimes just two, one or, you know, two. Um, but you know, generally speaking, all three, I mean, I guess even meat has, um, glycogen in it, which is technically a carb, right? People think that if they eat
0: protein, they're not going to stimulate a blood sugar spike, but a surplus of protein is the same thing as a surplus of carbohydrates, because that, that, that response to that huge cut of protein is going to cause a blood sugar spike. Same as eating a Snickers bar in most scenarios.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will talk blood sugar is an important concept. Um, but I think one of the things we do is like we paint things with a broad stroke, like, Oh, carbs are bad. Well, there's a big difference between like a pineapple and a can of Coca-Cola. Like it's, it's not the same thing. It does not affect the body the same way. Yes, they're both primarily calories from carbohydrates, but they are, you know, one has fiber, one has phytonutrients, one has, you know, vitamins, minerals, like all these things. One just has sugar and a bunch of artificial chemicals. Um, And so like painting these things with a broad stroke, gets us into trouble. Like we, nutrition is not that simple. It's extremely complex, a lot of moving parts, things are interacting with each other. And as humans, we want to make it simple. So we say, okay, this is a carb and this is a fat and this is a protein, but this is not really how food works. Um, And so I think we get into a lot of trouble, like saying, um, just like painting carbs with a broad stroke, for instance, saying like, okay, well, I know donuts are unhealthy, so you know, uh, mangoes must be too, because they have fructose in them, you know, but like no one ever got diabetes from like eating too many mangoes. Like it just, you know, um, doesn't happen. Um, with blood sugar, I think, you know, insulin is a complex beast and wait, I think there's a misunderstanding of how insulin resistance works. And so from a plant-based perspective, basically our theory is that, uh, intramyocellular lipids, which is fat in the bloodstream, um, essentially blocks the insulin receptors. So if there's fat in the blood, It's very sticky. It blocks the insulin receptors. Now you have sugar introduced in the system. You have insulin introduced in the bloodstream, and the insulin can't get into the cell because it's blocked by fat in the bloodstream. Well, now the insulin and the sugar are going to accumulate in the bloodstream. You're going to get an insulin spike. You're going to get a blood sugar spike. And so um, if you're eating whole plant foods, they have fiber in them, fiber- slows the absorption of sugar into the bloodstream so that if you're eating plants and you're not eating a lot of fat the the sugar will slowly get absorbed into the bloodstream insulin can continue to deliver the sugar into the cell and so you never see um, a blood sugar spike Um, so that's the theory around like insulin resistance and stuff like that which i think you know as people say like insulin causes insulin resistance i mean that's I could see how you might arrive at that conclusion, but I disagree. Um,
0: and I think that it's it's valuable to point out is like a lot of people will reduce the glycemic load or the glycemic index of a carbohydrate by coupling it with a fat because the fat will slow the gastric emptying process and it will slow down the kind of the delivery of sugar to the system, but. Fiber is kind of your way of doing that without introducing a fat.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's how nature does it. Um, and um, you know, there's a lot of appeal to nature arguments I could make in terms of like you know, you look at our closest ancestors in nature; they're anthropod apes. They eat primarily fruit and leafy green vegetables. They primarily eat one fruit at a time. You know, picking from a tree and just eating till they're full. Um, they don't. They're not going out and combining this and that together to make a meal. Um, and you know, we're like 98% chimpanzee by our DNA. Um, so, uh, vitamin B12, we can talk about, um, you know, this is one to say, well, you know, plants don't produce vitamin B12, therefore it's like, it's not something you could actually do in nature. You know, again, we got to be careful with these appeal to nature arguments because we don't really live in nature anymore. You know, what is it? But, um, I mean, it's helpful as a reference point, but it's like, it's a, way easy trap to fall into to get dogmatic about. Uh, B12 is produced by bacteria, most notably the bacteria that live in the soil and the bacteria that live in your uh, large intestine. Uh, the, the bacteria that live in your intest- large intestine, like E. coli, produce the B12, but it's so distal in the colon that you're pretty much just pooping it out. It should go into the soil, but now we have this complex, you know, sewage system where we don't, you know, renew our soils like bacterial and B12, uh, stores. Um, but, uh, that's where it comes from. So, um, you know, if you're not eating dirty vegetables out of the ground, you may need to get it injected into you. Um, you know, most cattle in the United States, more often than not, they're getting injected with it along with, you know, depending on where it's sourced, a whole host of antibiotics and hormones and other stuff you wouldn't want injected into you. Um, so, Meat eaters are supplementing B12 for the most part indirectly, like cattle are getting injected. Since it is produced by a bacteria, we can essentially grow B12 in a lab.
0: Um, Yeah, and that's interesting you say about the antibiotic injections to livestock because that may be affecting the microbiome of the livestock. And when they go and fertilize fields with like manure and old school farming practices rather than just spraying chemicals on it that probably has kind of really hit the bacteria microbiome to where there's probably not much E. E. coli producing B12 in that manure. So we're depleting it from kind of both ends.
1: Oh man. I mean, I think all the, the things we've done with farming practices could be, you know, an entire episode of, you know, how we've just had all these ideas that seemed like a good idea at the time. And now we're like, facing the long-term repercussions of them and be like, oh, that was stupid to do that, you know? Um, it's, it's definitely pretty broken. And, um, you know, we got a lot of work to do to, um, to uh, you know, have it be viable once again for human health.
0: What are some other common myths that you hear or, like, oppositional arguments? I know that you're not one to, to just, like, yeah, you're going to discuss things more with people that are more of a plant-based mindset, but you come into contact with people off the street that are patients that are kind of stuck in the normal paradigm. So it's not like you're in this academic silo and you don't get exposed to objections. So what are some other common ones that you
1: encounter? Hmm, I think most of it, most of the other ones are just basically around like people are resilient to, to making lifestyle changes, you know, it, not, not any ones in particular, but you know, their family and their friends are doing the same thing that they're doing and they don't want to be an outcast. And, um, you know, uh, uh I think that's most of the objections I hear, um, uh, for the most part.
0: And I, uh, this is kind of a impromptu question. Uh, sure. cause I know I've talked about it in the past, but what how critical is it? And are there certain fruits and vegetables that it's more critical to get organic than non organic? Because it's it's hard to find uh, organic everything in I know there's the dirty dozen and the clean 15. Or is organic really as important as people say it is or is in season more important? So can you kind of elaborate on those?
1: Sure. And I'd love to give you like a really simplified answer, but this is one of those things that the more I look into it, the less I know. Um, and I, I think I have an answer that upsets a lot of people to a large degree. So I looked into it. The clean 15 and dirty dozen is not based off of any actual research or science. it's basically just saying, well, these fruits and vegetables have a harder shell or peel or whatever. So probably they're less permeable to pesticides. Um, but there's no actual evidence to, um, back it up. So kind of don't know. Um, for example, interesting, uh, experiment and I had a friend who showed me this, you take a coconut, right? And that's like, you know, it's got this hard wooden shell, right? And you would think that this thing would be just like, you could spray the hell out of it and nothing would ever get through. But he did an experiment. He just took food coloring and he put it on the outer shell and he waited a couple days and he opened up the co- the coconut. And sure enough, blue coconut water because the, the food coloring is permeated through the, the, the wood and the nut and all that. You would think coconut is one of the most impervious, you know, I don't know if it's a fruit or a vegetable or a droop or a nut or whatever you want to call it. Um, so like it's conjecture, the Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen, unfortunately. Uh, one other thing is that uh, the USDA organic list is based on um, how these pesticides dissipate from the soil. So how uh, how persistent are they in the soil when sprayed? They're not tested. Like the decision to make things okay for – and this may be news to some people that uh, USDA Organic allows for 30 different pesticides. Yes, it does. Um, there's still pesticides sprayed under USDA Organic food, unfortunately. Sweet. Um, the-, the decision is based on how fast they-, they dissipate from the soil, not how they affect human health. So like – the assertion that organic is actually healthier for you, like, again, I mean, it's hard to say whether that's really true or not. Um, so, I mean, obviously for the environment, it's better. Um, you know, uh, there probably is less pesticide on it. Um, I think in-season super important. Uh, you know, when they're hothouse growing these, you know, cucumbers and chili and stuff like that, like, it's just, uh, you know... Like I'm not buying mangoes right now. They're in the store. I love mangoes. It's my favorite fruit. But they're growing them in Ecuador, you know, um, and they're not like they're not in season. Once the Mexican ones come in in like April, you know, it's, the, the flavor profile is so much better, and, and they're grown in better soil. And um, you know, uh, it's I think in in season is definitely important. Um, organic is important. How important? We don't know. I think overall, though, we do have the data to show that fruits and vegetables are health food, whether they're, uh, you know, organic or, or um, you know, I don't want to use the word conventional, but um, you know, sprayed or pesticide-ridden. Um, you know, it's it's a better bet. Um, so, you know, if you can get organic, if you can get in season, awesome. If you can't, like, it's still better than um, than you know, buying a you know, bag of Fritos for sure.
0: That's awesome, man. I'm glad I asked that question because that gave a lot of clarity. Because I figured that you had kind of investigated that in more detail than than I have. Uh, so I'm I'm glad that we asked you that question, and I I knew that you're going to be a big advocate of in season with your your foraging background. And when when I look for fruits and vegetables, I I look at it from like a couple of different. Uh, Perspectives. I like to support local farmers, uh, just because that thing hasn't like there. the The footprint is lower because it's not like oh, it didn't sit in a barge, uh, and then it didn't sit in an eighteen wheeler, and then it didn't do this and that to get to me. It wasn't picked when it was half ripe, and then it ripened in a box somewhere. uh, And I just like supporting local people, meeting cool people at farmers markets, and. I still eat meat and I purchase my meat based on knowing the farmer, knowing where it comes from. And I do the same thing with my fruits and vegetables. And we had organic gardens growing up. Like we had a, uh, like a 200 foot by a hundred foot greenhouse and probably eight acres of gardens to where like growing up, if we didn't grow it, catch it or kill it, we didn't eat it. Like we were 40 minutes away from the closest grocery store. So my mom would can a shoe if it would fit in the jar. So you there? Wisconsin, the yeah. right? and we had to have a greenhouse to lengthen the growing season so that we could actually have uh, ripe tomatoes and ripe peppers and uh, ready to to sell garlic by like July when the farmer's market was hot and heavy. Otherwise, it was like you are barely getting little dots on the plant if you planted it
1: after first frost or last frost. I mean, most Americans have no concept of what any of that's like. They have no idea where their food came from or like, you know, what a vegetable even looks like growing out of the ground, unfortunately.
0: And there's a lot of schools in the area because my wife is in education. And uh, I've talked to multiple heads of private schools in a lot of them are starting these like school gardens. And I think that's a huge positive thing for kids to be able to connect with where food comes from and kind of get their hands dirty. And like, it's kind of like a, an urban Wendell Berry approach. I think it's, I think it's a great development in our schools that a lot of them are doing these uh, school gardens Awesome. So if somebody is listening to this and I I know you're going to pique some people's curiosity to kind of dig for more information about this. And there are some people that are like Tigger and they're going to go all in uh, and they they just want to make all the changes all at once. And then there are some people that they're just kind of going to dip their foot in the water and just add more vegetables to their diet and still kind of cling to some stuff that they still eat, uh, which is kind of what I'm doing. Like, I'm just trying to add more vegetables and, and just kind of see where it goes from there. Uh, what resources can they access for credible information? Uh, and then just what suggestions do you have for people that are just like, kind of primed and ready to kind of make some positive changes in their
1: diet? Um sure, got a bunch of suggestions. Um so I wrote like a like a short little ebook that basically tells my story of uh recovering from autoimmune disease. It's called Autoimmune Recovery Blueprint, autoimmune-recovery-blueprint.com. You can sign up for my email list and download it. It's got all just like the nuts and bolts info. Um if you want to um if you want to like really go down the rabbit hole, um, some great books I would recommend, um, the 801010 diet, uh, by Dr. Doug Graham. It's a chiropractor out in the UK, um, really explains a lot of the science behind plant-based diets better than, um, a lot of the books out there. Like I, I met the lady who edited the book. It, like it's one of the best reads, um, as far as like from a scientific perspective, um, let's see uh there's uh if you're like one to try out plant-based there's something called the uh, 21 day kickstart it's by or, by our organization called pcrm so if you just look like google pcrm 21 day kickstart i think that's a really good guide it's free because it your whole shopping list um, recipe guide everything you need to know to just get the ball rolling and and i think like if um I'm I'm definitely more of a like change all at once type of guy. Like I know most people aren't wired like that, uh, but I think doing some sort of challenge where you set a finite amount of time that you're going to adopt a new habit is really powerful. Um, And you you can always go back at the end. Um, So that's, I think, without giving you guys too overloading too many options, I think those are three of the best.
0: That's awesome. In. I I think that that finite amount of time is very powerful too. And I think that's why the whole 30 has been so powerful. Uh, And and I I think that's valuable because it saves thousands of dollars in food allergy testing to where you're like, okay, let's eliminate some of the very common (laughs) autoimmune things that people eat and then reintroduce the common irritants and see how you look, feel and perform. And if it gets, If it gets rowdy then we know that that addition is probably not great for you yeah so I know that you put out content and I want to um, I want you to just let people know let the listeners know I'm gonna put this in the show notes as well but let people know the channels that they can kind of keep up with the content that you're putting out and and just kind of keep a finger on the pulse on what you're up to and and what you're doing and get exposed to the information that you're you're digging through.
1: Sure. Uh, so it's pretty much my name across the platforms I use, Dr. Benjamin Benulis. You no know, one ever pronounces my last name right. it's pronounced Benulis, it's Lithuanian. Not actually Lithuanian, my dad's adopted. Um, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Benjamin Benulis. That's probably where I'm most active with like the stories and showing what I eat in a day and random musings. I do have a YouTube channel, put out videos, um, sporadically, not as much as I'd like, but I have like seven or eight that I've recorded that I need to post. Um, and then, uh, also on Facebook the Facebook page, Dr. Benjamin Benulis, post on there periodically, but I would say Instagram, probably the most, um, the most active on, but YouTube and Facebook definitely too. It's just under my name.
0: Excellent man. is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I know this is gonna be a beast of an episode We're at almost an hour and 20 minutes but time flies when we we get chatting about uh, career choices and and the medical field and nutrition.
1: Yeah I mean this you know I've probably done seven or eight podcasts and um, this has been my absolute favorite one to do so I can't wait to like get this up and share it with everybody. I think we like talked about a lot of awesome stuff. I don't really have anything else. Uh, I think we like covered the bases and this was like, yeah, just enjoyed the hell out of this and hopefully we do it again sometime. Excellent, man. And I'm, I'm
0: looking forward to following up with you and in, in maybe doing a part two. And I'm sure this podcast will generate some questions uh, from both my listeners and then your, your, your peeps as well. So keep a running list. And when we get a enough uh, questions and content, we'll, we'll do a round two.
1: All right. Sounds great. Thank you very much, Dr. Nick. All right, man. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye.